What is happening, everybody? My name is Julius, and I am here with a special guest, someone who I have talked to before. It's been a while since I've talked to him on a microphone about a film, but I'm very excited to talk about this very special film, very important film with him today. And uh, before I get into what the film is, the classic, who am I speaking to? Um, my name is Hector Palacios. Um, I'm just a, I'm just a friend of Julius's and a proud friend, I could say. Oh. And I'm a moviegoer, a movie nerd, uh, a baby cinephile, as you would. But uh, what's a baby cinephile? How how would you define that? It's like someone who knows a lot about movies but hasn't seen a lot of movies. Oh, that's interesting. Well, what is the information more interesting than the films themselves for you sometimes? Yeah, sometimes. I mean, I think it's like it's like I think the background of the film is really interesting rather than like, you know, like, you know, the film is great already. If it's like, you know, I think one of the great things like why I like Taxi Driver a lot yeah. is that the rumor is that like it's based on Oliver Stone, you know, that Paul Schrader made that off Oliver Stone. And then like he Martin Scorsese also like got an NC-17 rating on the movie. So he was going to kill the producer. You heard about that one, right? Yeah. Like that is just the, why would you want to see them when the, the whole entire process of the movie is insane? I know. So, right. <laughs> so like, yeah, I think that's, you know, that's just how I roll, you know, it's crazy how often the behind the scenes of making a movie are just as, or sometimes more interesting than the films themselves. I think, the biggest example recently is uh, this Snyder cut business with justice league and, and, you know, looking at what happened the first time with Joss Whedon's cut, you know what I mean? That deserves a documentary all on its own. You know what I mean? The, the hoopla, the movement, the fact that we actually got his vision uh, this past year, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then people are talking about the air cut too. Did you see that? I've seen, like, ever since this Snyder Cut stuff has happened, everyone's trying to get a cut. Ayer's trying to get a cut. Paul Feig is trying to get a cut for Ghostbusters. Have you seen um, what David Ayer actually posted? He, what, I read, what did he post? He, I guess it was like a, not like, it's like a journal entry or like a diary entry. And, like, he's writing it to all the people who are, you know, Ayer Cut, release it, release it. And so it's really interesting because he like, I don't know him that well. I don't know him at all. I never, I've only seen like a maybe end of watch and mm. suicide training squad. day. No, I haven't seen training day. I know. Right. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so um, like he, um, he talked about how he grew up and how he was like a drug addict, how he was off the streets. He's seen people, he was born in South central LA. Like he's been, he knows the lifestyle training day was his life. Like he's seen that on the streets. He's been handcuffed and he's went to the Marines and he also went back on drugs. And then he started writing and writing. And then he started, you know, doing movie making, which is very inspirational. I didn't know that he was that, that, you know, fascinating and that great, to be honest, you know, someone who yeah. from addiction and then become a good example. I mean, I don't know about good, but like a, a director. Yeah. You know? it's inspiring nonetheless to to see where he comes from to where he is at that he's from is he from la i think so i mean i think uh, uh, what is it um training day is in la right it is in la yeah, yeah i think it's in la i mean i'll send you the thing but it's really interesting it's like he talks about that he talks about how oh like 
how the studio just interfere like my cut doesn't have this that this and like you i mean i get it like you know defending your cut but i mean it's been like four fucking years dude yeah but i mean look at the world we're in now you know we we're post snyder cut at this point so and and it was it was great you know what i mean i I liked it a lot surprisingly enough i like that film who knows maybe we'll like this uh a or cut if that ever happens i you know there are times where filmmakers filmmakers should in general be free to say to to speak on the process of making a film right a lot of the time they're under contract they can't go get into the nitty-gritty they can't spoil stuff obviously and they don't want to set a bad precedent because they want more work right but when you hear things like this like with Ayer or Snyder or uh, most recently this whole business with Scarlett Johansson and Disney like I feel like that's just as important as hearing like the, uh, the, the movie sounds great. Right. Yeah. You got to know what was behind the, the, the whole journey, not just the film itself, you know, to, to really appreciate it more. Yeah. That's, that's the beauty of movies and movie it, making. Yes. Yeah, man. And, and I think there are classic examples of film that kind of define it, revolutionize it in many ways. And the one that we're going to be talking about today is a movie that you and I went to see, last week right it was last week we went to lemley playhouse in pasadena on colorado and we went to see akira kurosawa's rashomon yes sir thank you by the way for telling me this was playing (laughs) that night of course it was Uh, just yes the stars aligned right it, it just happened that way man uh they were playing rashomon the criterion collection version of rashomon i hope i'm saying that right rashomon rashomon anyway it was great i had a great experience uh it was a really beautiful restoration because criterions are restorations am i am i right i think they do you know there's criterion cuts right yes yes (laughs) uh yeah i think they you know they put it on blu-ray they you know what did you say what is it remaster it restore it remaster all that shit Mm. Do because I know you know about Criterion. Do you collect those versions of films? I only have a couple. I don't. I don't own a lot because they're kind of fucking expensive. Yeah. So they're yeah. like twenty, thirty dollars. I mean, they're just as much as like what, like a two disc Blu-ray, or like a yeah. So I only have a couple, and the couple I have are from like Goodwill. Well, which ones do you have? Oh, um, of course, we just discussed this earlier. Chasing Amy. Mm-hmm. Um, I have Paris, Texas, and I don't even know, dude. I know those are the two notable ones I have. I don't know the other ones. The other ones are just like randoms, like something Wes Anderson, like Wes Anderson's Royal T Bums. Oh, the Royal Tenenbaums. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. And, <laughs> whoever and that I, center frame dude is. Whoever that is, but yeah, and I like. I have the app. You know, sometimes I use it. They have a lot of you know, crazy stuff on there. I think that's like probably what makes me a baby cinephiles that I fucking have the fucking criterion app. So I don't know. Well, it was pretty uh, insane. I wasn't expecting it to be, see the criterion logo up on the big screen, getting us ready for the movie. Uh, Before anything, how familiar are you with Akira Kurosawa is it kind of like how you are with most films you just you know about him you haven't seen much of his work how is it for you uh yeah I think every person who's who knows 
film and knows like cinema. I don't know about like movies, but like knows has an interest of sorts, knows who Akira Kurosawa is, knows like how, you know, uh, Sergio Leone and George Lucas and who, I don't even know, Martin Scorsese, Friends for Coppola, all these big name directors. All Spielberg. Know yeah, of course. All know who he is. Yeah. You know? even Tar- like, Tarantino? Oh, yeah, yeah. So yeah. like all, like uh, some of the best, I mean, unfortunately, male directors and movie makers know about Akira Kurosawa. And so mm-hmm. like, you know, you hear them talk about it and I think, you know, Sergio Leone even like, you know, copy one of the songs and there's there's even that one that one scene from it where we're talking about when we got out of the of the movie that looks yeah. like evil what is it the bad the, ugly the good the bad and the ugly there's a scene or a moment for through in the, in one particular scene where it's almost directly like good bad and the ugly and, and this shit came out of the fucking 50s uh, 1950s so it's like yeah akira kurosawa has has been ahead of its time has of his own time really i don't even know it essentially created its own time because so much of what's introduced in the film has been translated within specifically Western cinema. You know, we mentioned a lot. I mean, you mentioned a whole bunch of uh, directors, you know, you mentioned Tarantino, you mentioned uh, uh, what's his, uh, Ford Coppola, Scorsese, all these guys who use a lot of the techniques in terms of storytelling that a movie like Rashomon implements. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, the movie is all about perspective which means what before we get into the the movie itself i just want to list off some of the movies that akira kurosawa has made uh, these are the 10 essential films no regrets of our youth scandal rashomon ikiru seven samurai throne of blood yojimbo dursu uzala and uh I, that was 10 right yeah okay <laughs> we'll go with it but those are some films that this guy's made that have been remembered you know what i mean and that's very rare you know especially right now is there anyone who's making films that for you hector you you could see having a similar legacy towards akira kurosawa um yeah i mean we listed a bunch of dudes who've mm-hmm. made a legacy who are probably our parents saw them in theaters you know probably like my mom or my dad or your parents have seen any of steven spielberg i remember seeing i remember not even seeing but my dad like having the actual copy of like et and watching it you know and so like i think you know now it's very diverse there's very a lot more uh directors and uh producers and stuff like that who are similar to you know people of color so you know it's more i guess connecting you know it's really cool to see you know women or you know, women of color or even like you know men of color like so Gimbal de Toro is like one of my favorite directors and to see his legacy and how he won and then you know Alfonso yeah. Cuaron all these people who it's just crazy how diverse it's getting and it's really it's amazing even though it's still men but you know again someplace yeah I mean but we we also have some really great uh, really interesting artists like uh, 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 Catherine Bigelow, who made she was the one who did uh, Black Hawk Down, I believe, or was that was that Catherine? That was Catherine Bigelow. Catherine, and she did um, what's that other one, which is Justine? Um, that came out. It's the same, similar war stuff. Oh, uh, uh, Zero Dark Thirty. Yeah, and then yeah, she so- also did um, well, Keanu, Keanu Reeves and. Um, 
Fuck, what's his name? He's like, he tries to be a surfer, but he's undercover cop. Oh, Point Break? Yeah, she also, <laughs> she also did that. But um, yeah, I mean, and then, you know, Greta Gerwig mm-hmm. and with Lady Bird and Little Women. And now she's going to do Barbie. But like, it's crazy to see that because you saw Lady Bird, right? It's on the list. I heard it. So don't even go there with me, dude. It's like, you haven't seen Training Day. Okay, but like... The funny thing is that I guess I'm just going to, I guess, talk to the people. Okay. Julius and I have, I've known Julius for, I mean, I don't even know, almost maybe a decade or more. Uh, probably and, more. Yeah. So we used to live in a city called South Pasadena mm-hmm. where we went to school, you know, from elementary, middle and high school. Lady Bird is filmed in South Pasadena. Yeah. Our, our high school auditorium is in the movie for a good for a very important and very funny scene so it's just like it's just it's just like crazy to see that too like my where i grew up yeah i know they film quite a bit over there i mean some of the most iconic films made were made there specifically halloween is i think is probably the, the most popular one of that town and uh they last you know it's probably the town you know they probably mm-hmm. filmed rashomon over in south pasadena at least for a single shot Maybe a Garfield Park. A Garfield Park. <laughs> well, let's talk about the film itself. The film is about the murder of a husband. And that murder, that scene, that moment when he's killed is told through several dif- different ways and perspectives by several different people. You know, it's it's uh, brought to the courts of this uh, area in, uh, in Japan. And they are testifying a bunch of witnesses and all the witnesses give their side of the story are they lies which one is correct which one is the ultimate truth uh, you see how wild it gets and that's literally the whole movie you just see different renditions on the same scene with the same end in mind and it is pretty remarkable that it holds your attention for, for something that could sound as so repetitive about it as itself but um what did you think about this premise? Did you know it before we went into the theater? No. Oh, you didn't? Okay. <laughs> no, yeah. I thought I knew it had something to do with um, something about like maybe to deal with samurais, maybe to deal with some sort of like that sort of culture in Japan. Because I know Kira Kurosawa, you know, did Seven Samurai. So I'm just expecting or assuming that something similar might come up. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I had no idea that it'd be like all these different storylines and you know you don't know the truth so what you know you'll never find out yeah i mean one movie that i was thinking of and a lot of people are probably thinking of when it comes to comparing or direct influence of rashomon is pulp fiction i mean that that's a movie that took similar concept and just kind of you know russian dolled it a bit you know you put one in the other one on top of the other and everything and it's pretty iconic to see them just go back and forth and back and forth. And that not only is it just about the, the death of this guy, we start off in this area called Rashomon, which is this like temple that is half destroyed, half, you know, stable. And there are these three men there. There's a, this just like a fisherman, there's a priest and there's this thief. A traveler. Yeah. A traveler. A traveler. Yeah. yeah. 
and they're all in this little area in Rashomon, it, just covering from the rain, and they start telling stories. And the movie is really about this uh, conflict between optimism and cynicism, you know, and you get a big case for why cynicism is a more realistic option with each story that's told about how this guy was killed or died or however it happened, right? So what did you think about that juxtaposition of, of the A story and the B stories, plural? I think it really, like you, I think, like what you said before, it, could, it seems repetitive, right? That right. you're being told the same story and all from different point of views, but it really, it, it's interesting. And the, the times where it kind of feels where it gets, it gets repetitive or it gets kind of slow, uh, the movie making, you know, what he does with the camera and how he places the camera, I guess the cinematography yes. is so good. Yeah. And it really like, kind of like, like, oh shit, like, oh my God, like, you know, d- you know, is she lying or is she not lying or is the bandit true? Is he telling the truth? Like, who do you even believe? And then, you know, and then yeah. it just keeps you really interested in it. It's yeah. stellar cinematography in this. Film. Yeah. It's way ahead of its time for it- sure. Yeah, it really is. It it's very reminiscent of like paintings that you see in a museum. The the compose the composure of the shots and everything, the where the places where the subjects are placed, yeah. it's all perfect. And it takes you a minute for some shots. It takes you a minute to kind of realize what's going on in the frame, you know, because it's it's shot in black and white, obviously a black and white film, and you're just looking at it. You're trying to make things out, and once you really figure out, oh, that woman's lying there. Oh, and the guys in the foreground. It's just, it's beautiful. It's completely beautiful, man. Yeah. Some of the tracking shots are really sick too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, any of the, the shots that he uses, oh, shoot, uses the camera and like moves with the character are just like really, yeah, I was like, oh my gosh. Like he, it's like, you're, this is like a filmmaker. This is someone who, who is passionate about cinema, who knows cinema, you know? Yeah, and, and he sees the direction of it. this isn't an action film by any means but there are some shots in here that act in that manner that you see translated in like modern day martial arts films you know like there there's there's this shot where um the the thief or the yo what's his name uh uh, let me look at bandit the bandit yes the bandit is running through the forest and it's just on him completely. And, and you don't even know how they're doing it. Is there a track on the ground below? Because he's up on a hill and he's running really fast and the camera is keeping up with him. And it's, he's like in a fucking forest. He's in a forest, like, yeah. So I was like, I didn't, did they even like, how do they prep? You know, do they how cut off everything? <laughs> just yeah, like yeah. That, just that alone. I was like, I wonder how like they all went down. Like, this is too much. Like, we can't do this. We have to destroy all this. Or do they just say, fuck it, let's just do it. You know, it's just like that was fascinating itself. Yeah, the the cast consists of, and I might butcher some of these names. I apologize ahead of time. Toshiro Mifune, who played Tajumaru, the bandit that we're speaking of. Uh, Mashiko Kiyu, who plays Masako, who's the female character in the film. There's Takashi Shimura, who's the woodcutter. He's the man who is uh, looking for his hope in the world. There's Masayuki Mori, who plays Takahiro, who is the character who is killed uh, multiple times in the film. Uh, There's Minoru uh, Chiaki, who is the priest. And there is Kishijuri. 
<laughs> Kishijiro Ueda, who is the commoner, who is the cynic in the uh, A story. He, he's the one who is trying to convince the priest that humanity is not worth saving or worth believing in in any way. He represents kind of the worst that we have to offer. And uh, the, what did you think of this cast? Who stood out to you the most in terms of performance? I think um, the bandit, he's very, I think he's supposed to stick out. You know, yeah. he has, like, yes, he's very, um, very animated, very animated. You know, he laughs, his laugh, his characteristics, and he's kind of like, you know, dirty and like, you know, there's always a fly on him. So he has to squat it. I think I liked him a lot. Um, I like the, not the priest, maybe the priest, but the, um, the man that like the traveler, the wanderer who comes and joins the priest and the woodcutter. And I thought, you know, him, he's just like this random man who like just is listening to their gossip and doesn't really, you know, just wants to know, yeah. you know? And I just, I think those two were my favorite, I guess. Yeah. You know, it's crazy because the, it goes over the same scene essentially over and over and over again, but yeah. each time they go through the different rendition of the story of this man dying, you get a completely different emotional reaction each time. You know what I mean? Cause some are played for laughs. Some are more dramatic. Some are more horrific. Some are more tragic and it's insane. And the performances reflect that the actresses, the actress who plays the wife, you know, the survivor, I think she was pretty phenomenal in this film, honestly. Like there are scenes with her that are heartbreaking and where she has to yell, she has to break down. She, she can be like cunning and yeah. manipulative, but she can also be sympathetic because it, it's just, honestly, it's master storytelling. You know what I mean? Being able to take a character in the same film and just stretch them like this is, yeah. it's beautiful to witness. Yeah, she had her range was just amazing. Yeah, she was like, you felt bad for her, and then you're like rooting for her, and then you're like, oh, she's kind of like a bitch. So, <laughs> you like, hate her. Yeah, you hate her, and like it's like they don't. What I was worried about, I guess, is that it is it's a 1950s movie, so I guess I, the the treatment of you know men and women, but I guess just women in general, um, how it could be like skewed and very you know very untrue or very, just very you can tell this is told by a man but they give they, they give her justice there's a moment where yeah. it when she has to um is it when she's telling the judge or yeah when it yeah. Goes, yeah when she's telling a judge about what she saw and how these both men were just weak and didn't like you know do anything you know the men are weak you know they they fall they can't fight each other they're just stupid yeah and so like that was real. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is pretty sick. Yeah, she turns out to be one of the most probably the most complex character in the film. And it's really unique because she's, I think, the only character who gets to tell the story of how her husband died two times. Yeah, she tells it once and then she tells it another time. I'm not going to spoil how she tells it or why she tells it again, but she tells it again. And I think each performance is just as incredible as, as the other. It is like, I was, the second time she tells the story, I was looking at her, I'm like, that, that's not the same actress, is it? Like, that can't be the same actress. That's remarkable performance right there. You know what I mean? Uh, man, uh, so much of this movie was, was phenomenal. I, one thing I wanted to ask you specifically was, 
about the uh, action scenes within this film because there are some fighting uh, moments in this. They're very different. What did you think about them when they started up and when they ended? I guess they weren't, I guess, cartoonish in a way. Uh, they're not like, you know, something from this time, you know, that we see movies and action movies now, like very over animated. And you can tell one is a real actor and one isn't. Like these are the actual actors who put the bandit and, you know, the husband are actually fighting you know they're i don't know they're using real swords like i was thinking that too like what if they fucking use real swords on this but like they they're very in tune and like they fall they eat shit you know they stumble like they are actually like it's just crazy how real that acting is you know like it goes back to like the the the, what is it the wife too like the amount of range and amount of like you know power and energy and just dedication to their craft it's amazing and it really speaks volumes you know that will really carries the movie too i mean of course but it's a huge yeah the the fight scenes like the characters themselves are different each time the story is told sometimes there isn't a fight scene sometimes there is and it's pretty awesome because there there are some renditions of the fight between the uh like the husband and the bandit that are just awesome right mm-hmm. just like really cool fight scenes but then there are some that are funny right there are some that are worrying and edge of your seat thrilling you know what i mean there's and the, the performances during these fight scenes you're absolutely right they're spot on because they're they're brutal you know they are really brutal they don't hold back it's not it's like what you said it's nothing flashy you know i'm really looking forward to uh, the marvel movie uh, I guess they're calling it Shang-Chi, not, <laughs> not Shang-Chi, but Shang-Chi is what they're going with. I'm really looking forward to that because it is a mixture of like brutal stuff, but also flashy stuff. This is not that. This is, it's murder. And it, it really is kind of eye-opening. It's like, oh my God, these guys have giant knives <laughs> and they are trying to plunge them into each other. That is insane. And one, I mean, the bandit, he's not even wearing anything. He has yeah. his like, exposed and the other the husband he's i don't even know what he's wearing but he he doesn't have, they don't have any armor like they don't yeah. have anything to protect them all they have is like their swords and just themselves really yeah one of one is a classic bandit and one is a classic samurai yeah, yeah. And, and they're just they're just like okay let's do it yeah, <laughs> let's go it's a great movie it really is it really is is there I, one thing i'm curious about hector is what rendition of the story was your favorite? Yeah, the wives. The wives? I like the wives. Mm-hmm. And I also liked um, the medium. So mm-hmm. I guess in the, um, I don't know if we're supposed to spoil it or not, but I get you can, you'll see it on when you look at the cast. Yeah. Uh, since, you know, the husband is dead, he's passed away, he was killed, murdered. And they have a medium who has his ashes and like, you becomes or embodies his spirit and so that whole entire i was like i did not expect them to i thought that was fucking weird too and i was like oh my gosh but i just thought that was really cool and very you know experimental in a way how that was going down and and it also that it fit into the idea of is this a is this even real you know because the trial itself is being told by the priest and the woodcutter yeah yeah 
And then the woodcutter, like his story, was, I mean, he was just looking around and he just happened to stumble, by, stumble upon them. And that's what he saw. So I thought they, each, I guess, storyline is great in its own way. But I guess my favorite would be the wives. Yeah, I, I like the wives also. I like that it's left a bit ambiguous by the end of her story. Like yeah. if, if, if the movie stopped right there, right? You'd be left with a feeling of like, I don't know if I can trust this woman and, and the way that she told it. Is she a victim or is she a suspect? You know, and uh, I, I really love it. I really, I love the moment where um, she's breaking down in front of the husband because the husband's looking at her with this, just, uh, just despising her. You know what I mean? It's, it's such a powerful moment, dude. It is, yeah. My God. I, I got to say that when it comes to a lot of classic films, there are some films you you can watch at home, but they're like you and I were talking. There are some films you just want to see on the big screen for the first time. Yeah. One of which I, I, I think was Schindler's List for me. Is there one for you like that? Um, it's hard to, I guess, form an opinion about it because it's probably never going to happen or if it does it's not like you know you i want i think if if i could see any movie on the big screen i would want to go to that time and go mm. see them you know like i would yeah. want to see jaws in the 70s i would want to see um i don't know like alien i'd want to see like the exorcist i would want to see any like i, I would like to see that at that time just to see like you know the whole entire reaction that that true you know um this might be a weird word to use virgin hype you know because everybody yeah. like you know when you go see jaws at like a midnight screening everybody knows you know mm-hmm. everybody knows they're gonna defeat him they're gonna die you know and we need a bigger boat you're, everybody knows that but like you know when you step in upon it and you're like you know you watch her drowning in the first scene i'm like oh shit like is she gonna die well, what is taking her like why is she why is it called jaws you know yeah. so yeah. i mean but of course i think you know one of the i think one movie i'd like to see would probably be um, The Shining. Oh, man. Yeah. Of course. And then <sighs> Natural Born Killers. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Th- those are good picks. I Love- Yeah. Go, 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 ahead. go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you got to wait for a Fathom event for when those movies end of anniversaries. Then you can just go check them out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hopefully, I mean, Natural Born Killers is a story written by Quentin Tarantino. So hopefully he has it played. I don't know if he likes it or not, but hopefully he has it played. Yeah. Why wouldn't he at his own theater? Like, that's where it started for him. Well, I don't know. You know I mean, I haven't seen it yet. God damn it. And, and by the way, I just wanted to bring up that Rashomon, the word actually does mean the, the telling of a story from multiple different angles. Wow. Yeah. yeah can you believe that they knew what they were doing they were he, i mean they're Akira Kurosawa, ahead of his time for sure for sure one thing i want to bring up to you because mm-hmm. we're obviously of a younger generation we didn't we weren't alive when this movie came out obviously yeah. but it's it's dealing with themes that are very i think still important you know about it's it's about the conflict between pessimism and hope you know what I mean? Uh, do you think we need more of that within modern cinema? I think it's a good, um, 
it's something that's good to explore. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what makes, I guess, I mean, anybody can have a take on it, whether it can be like really shitty or really good. And I think, I mean, I don't know if you haven't seen it. I think I, I told you you should see it. First Reformed, so it's another, I guess, mm-hmm. Paul Schrader classic. And, you know, deals with the priest and, you know, uh, uh, environmental issues, you know? And I guess in you know, him himself having sort of his own issues that are very detrimental. So you kind of get like, you can either the conflict between, you know, is there a God? Is there isn't a God? Like, am I gonna, like, am I, if I die, am I gonna die peacefully? Yeah. Or am I gonna just die? So like that, I think when told, I mean, I mean I'm, who am I? I'm not a screenwriter. I'm not a fucking, per, I'm not, I haven't made shit. But I think when it, when told really good and with that, without being shitty, it can be, I mean, just like this one, I mean, it can become beautifully made and it can tell a story and live on and make you question and make you think and maybe inspire you to make another movie that deals with sort of those two boulders. Yeah, that's, well, that's a great answer. I mean, I know that I wasn't expecting the hopeful ending we got to this film. You know what I mean? I was expecting something a bit dreary, something that was more of a, a, the audience has to make up their mind on the on the uh the lesson uh, for, yeah. for, for you know you know what i mean have and, you seen children of men no or is that is that a no no i've not <laughs> i mean i think also i think that's one of like the biggest um i'm not one of the biggest films it also flopped too but it's a really good movie and it, it leaves you with like an ending that's very ambiguous mm-hmm. that I think, I don't know, I forgot who told me this, but it, depending on what your take is on it, really tells you, as like, tells you, you know, are you a pessimist or are you the, what's the other word? Optimist? Yeah, yeah, if, the one of the two, like, you know. So, like, I mean, you should definitely check it out. It's a really good movie. Yeah. And, I mean, I think it's um, Clive Owens in it, so, I mean, he's pretty good. And and um, Michael Caine, he's in it, too, for a brief moment. Oh, so, my boy, Michael Caine. Yeah, there you go. So, it's a... That movie deals with like a, that ending is very ambiguous, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean it's very hopeful. I mean you live, I guess, it teaches the younger generation without spoiling anything. You know what I mean? And to like you know that we're gonna. I mean, we all we can we learn from each other. We're all gonna be fine. You know, I mean, there's just shitty people out there. That you know, that's that's a perfect way to sum it up. Is that what I got, and it seems like what you got from the end of Rashomon is that there is going to be evil and corruption, and there is going to be pessimism out there. But yeah. the that's not the point. The point is the response, and the response tends to be what people lean towards. You know what I mean? And it's at least it's what people should lean towards. You know, yeah. th- there there are fires, and then there are firefighters. You know what I mean? And that's, I think, a comforting aspect you can take away from the end. Like it's, it's actually pretty heartbreaking. The ending, it's because the whole, it's, it's like there's a character, the priest, who's like fighting, fighting for his hope in humanity. I, one of the most significant lines in it is, and this is a paraphrase, but he says something along the lines of, I, "I've gone through something that's worse than war, famine, disease, and it's losing my hope in humanity." You know what I mean? And it's, that's like a, that's a chilling line. You know what I mean? And, and the fact that it ended the way it did, I'm not going to spoil anything because everyone needs to watch this movie. It's one of the greatest films of all time. I'm saying it. 
<laughs> it's it's beautiful that a sentiment could be had after a line like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. God damn it. Give me a Superman movie like this. I mean, my God. <laughs> you know, Superman, he's talking to Jor-El. It's like all sorts of different ways that Krypton was destroyed. <laughs> I mean, I think it's just, um, we live in a time that's very hard for, I guess, movies and for people who want to make movies. And it's yeah. all about, um, you know, what could you bring? You know, it's not about like, you know, what can you make? Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, this, I mean, I get the original, I mean, the Justice League, you know, what is it? Josh, was it Whedon League? What is Josh it Josh Whedon. Yeah, came in. Justice League. Justice League. That's what I meant to say. So Justice League or whatever, like that was just a, you know, just a company just trying to save its own ass. And you watch Zack Snyder's Justice League, which is, I like Zack Snyder. Mm -hmm. I think he's pretty cool, but I don't think he's a good filmmaker. I think he's a, I think he's a cool guy, and I think he has, he's. His ideas are pretty sick, but I don't think, you know, I have, I mean, the Army of the Dead was, I couldn't, I mean, I got tired of it during like maybe an hour. But I mean, Justice League was like, I liked it. He had full control of it. You could tell, like, you know, with the aspect ratio, with those long, long uh, takes, long takes with just stuff like the, 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 like, what is it? The, the woman singing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's that, like, the whole entire when, uh, when, Bruce Wayne goes to uh, that town to find uh, Jason Momoa or what Aquaman. I just like seeing Jason Momoa. It's so much cooler, right? Like instead of saying Aquaman, like he goes to see Jason. Like that would, I mean, that he goes to Jason Momoa himself and asks him to fight Darkseid. I mean, Jason Momoa probably could, and he and he would. He would. He would. And I think that whole entire like that made that it made the movie so much better and so much more like suspenseful and dramatic rather than just be like oh we gotta we gotta band together and right. defeat this dude and if we don't the world's gonna end oh okay let's do it guys you know like it's not like no but like what's there to gain from me like what kind of i don't really care about this world so why can't it just be destroyed you know yeah and then it that i yeah i thought it, he created a lot more depth in it for sure yeah and and funny enough i felt that rashomon and justice league do similar things in terms of that theme of pursuing hope you know what i mean Zack snyder's depiction of hope is very uh, if you look from man of steel to bvs to this film i like that it it uplifted you know a character like superman who should be hopeful um but i think that's a great example of someone who decided to just do what he could to inspire in some way you know what i mean and and another part of it that you brought up was the commercial aspect of modern films. You brought up that this movie didn't do very well when it came out. It had a $250,000 budget. And what did it make? Like 45,000? Yes. Well, the budget's estimated, but it said, yeah, 46,000. 46,000 worldwide. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's what, I think you can say that about all movies. All great movies always do shitty yeah like um i know for, for a fact i mean i just mentioned it earlier like children of men i did really shitty and you know if you people if you it came out like 2006 2008 you know it's directed 
by Alfonso Cuaron, and then the cinematography is done by Emmanuel Lubixi. Who are these? Are, are you familiar with Emmanuel Lubixi? I don't know. Saying I am name. not. I don't know what. I mean, everybody should be familiar. He he's just as like great. Oh my, not just as, but like he he's someone who sees the camera in such a way that is so unique and so um, invasive. So like, I think one of the most notable movies that he's done is Tree of Life by Terrence Malick. Oh, which yeah. I, have you seen that? Yes. So like that, mm-hmm. like the, even that movie's long as fuck. And you're like, yeah. what the fuck does it do with anything? But it's so like amazing. Like he he's done that, like this movie that has these two great powerful people and great performances it's so shitty but like you know i watched it in film class like people talk about it in film class because of how it's filmed and how it's written and then the u.s ending and then they just go fucking watch children Moon, basically you know it just yeah it's pretty sick but well, it, it is an important point that a lot of great films aren't appreciated until after the fact like i think one of the most popular examples is probably blade runner you know oh yes yeah yeah. yeah oh my god even blade runner 2049 yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah. it's so crazy like it's so weird it, it doesn't make any sense and like there's been like what uh, like fucking 20 hundred michael bay transformer movies and like all well, the- I, I think that's because those movies aren't taking real risks like something like a uh, uh, a Rashomon or a Children of Men or a, or a Blade Runner, you know what I mean? Th- those movies really do deal with themes that are going to challenge the audience. You know what I mean? But Rashomon is going like anyone who's not really a, a film person, I'm not going to fucking see it. Well, well, they're not going to get it. You know what I mean? They they may not get it. I'm not going to say they're not going to, um, yeah. but they may not. It's very different. You know what I mean? maybe nowadays they'll be more acclimated because of something like Pulp Fiction, you know, Tarantino kind of bridged the doorway into, into cerebral-esque storytelling. But these are movies that at the time took major risks. They were pushing the boundaries. And a lot of the times when projects do that, they're, they're unusual. The reason they're breaking boundaries is because they're not regular for the time being. So it, I'm glad that Rajaman is still here and it's still of cultural significance and Akira Kurosawa, his legacy is a legacy. It is one of the most insane legacy. I have to watch all his films now. They remade... Oh, oh go ahead. Go ahead I was just going to say, uh, real quick, they, they remade Seven Samurai into Magnificent Seven. I mean, come on now. That, what's crazy, I mean, we're, sorry, when you were talking, I was, I was paying attention, but... Um, <laughs> I looked up the best flopped movies. And you know what's crazy about this? Shawshank Redemption even flopped. See, that's what I'm talking about, man. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, Fight Club even flopped. Well, that makes sense that that would flop. (laughs) Um, I think, I don't even know if you, I think I might have told you about this. Everybody, anybody who's interested in movies, I always tell about, um, what is Annihilation? Have you seen Annihilation? Oh, with the Natalie Portman, Oscar Isaac. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it. I've, I think I saw a little bit of it in passing, actually. Yeah, d- directed by um, Alex Garland, who made Ex Machina, Ex, Ex Machina. Ex Machina, yes. Yeah, and so that I saw that movie. I, I wish I saw it in theaters, and I watched it like on Hulu, and I was like, "Holy shit! Like it's in, it's a fucking that." Talk about another ambiguous ending. Who the what the fuck just happened? I mean, you know, Natalie Portman is. I mean, the acting is 
Yeah, but like it's a crazy it's not prequel level no it's i know that it's based on a trilogy of books that's mm. called the southern reach trilogy about fucking aliens or some shit i don't fucking know but um alice Harlan makes this trilogy into one two hour something movie and like you're like it's a it's a, it's, a, it's an intense crazy trip with great special effects with weird uh experimental and just uh, i mean you should definitely check it out you should for sure i mean it's crazy how that flopped and like fucking i don't even know like the more <laughs> shitty movies come to play that and like um i mean john carter but i know how you feel about john carter i like john carter quite a bit i like that movie quite a bit i i don't have you seen mother i was supposed to see mother when it came out but it just never happened because it just didn't happen I mean, I can see why that that movie. You should definitely check out that movie, man. That movie, I don't even know. That made well, me question everything. Well, I mean, the 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 age of film that we're in right now is the age of nostalgia. You know, the a the, the branding. You know what I mean? That we have cinematic universes. We have sequels to movies that are like thirty years old, and they do or remakes or remakes, right? Remakes, and, yeah, and that's even more shocking that that Blade Runner twenty forty nine didn't do as well as it should have because it's it fills the requirement you know what i mean um but that's the age we live in right now and i think we will pass it at some point there will be a point where people don't have enough money for nostalgia and they just go back to original filmmaking hopefully i mean there's only so i mean uh, people have to run out of it i mean people are eventually going to get sick of like i mean this might be a, a very controversial or oh, shit. I'm not trying to be controversial at all, but like I'm ready. Spider-Man 33. Like, I don't like who knows. I'm like, if, if they continue to pile on, like, you know, Peter Parker's going through a divorce and fighting, you know, Venom 3.0 or some shit like that. I don't know. But like, I hope, I mean, a lot of new people are, you can see this now, especially like Chloe Zhao, coming out with like you know the rider and the nomad land and then like getting while making nomad land going getting eternals it's like they're i guess they're trying to expand on i guess their the creative eye behind you know the next fucking marvel movie which is cool but then it's like at the end of the what like this is also kind of bad too i mean they're they're trying to bridge a gap you know what i mean yeah and i don't know that bridge is never supposed to meet yeah because what they've been doing is taking a lot of independent directors yeah for sure from that from the independent scene and uh, and giving them these big films which is cool right it's cool to see the movies themselves and and eternals looks really different and interesting right and like ryan johnson uh, ryan johnson yeah he's another big example um i mean for me my favorite films of those directors aren't usually like the big ones you know what i mean like my favorite ryan johnson film is knives out not Have like you seen looper I, i've seen looper yeah I, but i would still go with knives out okay interesting okay yeah yeah but, but you know what i mean it's it's where they get they they make the film that's more of the passion project the personal thing yeah where you know it's not I mean? like this amount of stress this amount of just like um yeah i would imagine the stress might be kind of horrible at that moment where people you're given creative freedom or you're given some sort of freedom 
but then people are like, oh, this is so shitty. Like, you're fucking stupid. No one fucking likes you, you know? Wait, did, I think I just blacked out for a second. Wait, how did we get to that? Oh, because, I mean, everybody, I don't know. But, like, people are like are already kind of shitting on Eternals, too. Oh, are they? I think so. I mean, I don't know. I try to stay off the internet. But yeah. I would hold you. I mean, I try. I mean, I want to. You're side- on it now. Exactly. I want to sidetrack for a moment. So I was watching The Mummy. The 2000. No, of course. No, in the 1990 with Brendan Fraser. And um, I was watching it and I was like, this movie is so cheesy. It's so good. It's Uh so good. It's like the perfect comfort movie. And I was thinking like if. If they were able to. I don't even know, move time somehow in a way where. the, The movies of Indiana Jones could and maybe like in the 90s. Brendan Fraser would be a perfect Indiana Jones hmm. in the nineties, in the early two thousands, he would have made a perfect Indiana Jones Yeah. instead of having Harrison fucking a hundred years old. Yeah. Coming back, coming back with like, break. what did he do? Didn't he break his ink? He like fucked up his leg. And <laughs> he, only had... he, he's always breaking stuff, man. On all these films he's there. Because he's old as shit. Like, <laughs> like, um, I mean, there was some need for him in Blade Runner. Like that was really cool to see him pop up. But then I was like, he was great. He was he was really good in it. He wasn't like bad or anything. But I mean, I think they only brought that just to be like, oh, it's connected. You know, it, it, don't like don't get don't get it twisted, buddy. It's here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? I mean, as long as for for me, nostalgia isn't a problem as long as it is for a reason. You know what I mean? As long as if if Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield come in to this next Spider Man movie. I'm going to love it even more because it's there for a reason. You know what I mean? talk. I, I don't, uh, we're not even going to go there right now. <laughs> I'm just saying if they, if they're in the movie for a reason, fantastic. If not, it's cool to look at. You know what it's I mean? Cool. I mean, as long as, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal, Michael Keaton, Jamie Foxx, um, fuck, what's his name? Doc, Doc Ock is Dr. on the Molina. Afro Molino, like I think that's Willem Dafoe. Well, I mean, just all that those all those people are pretty insane. Mm-hmm. I mean, we just gotta find out. Just gotta find out. So now see the fact that we're talking about Spider-Man knows we're done talking about uh Rashomon. Yeah, completely sidetracked. <laughs> well, guys, thanks so much for listening to Hector and myself. Hector, thank you so much for joining me and inviting me to the film. I can't wait to go see another movie, whether it be Taxi Driver, Jaws, Raging Bull, whatever we get to see. Uh, is there anywhere that the people can find you? No. Good. All right. Thanks so much for being here. I'll talk to you soon. Goodbye, everyone. Stay safe. Have a nice one.